My friends, welcome to another episode of Mandatory Redistribution Party. This episode is about counterpower and rebuilding community in a privatised world of isolated consumption. It's complicated stuff, but don't be too galled. We also like to have a bloody good laugh. Enjoy the app. Due to the untimely death of an uncle you didn't know you had, you've inherited the deeds to an old social club and are tasked with revitalizing it within one year. Oh my God. Okay, first of all, is it like my mum or my dad's sibling? Mum's sibling, but right. estranged yeah. due to... Just decided to have this one adopted. Where is it? Where is it? Hmm. Old mining town. Yeah, it's going to be up um, near Blackburn. Okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. What's... um. What's the great thing about not knowing about Blackburn is yeah, that you yeah, can yeah, just yeah, project yeah. what you want to onto. Is it is it structurally sound? Has it got rising damp? Has it got crows in it? The upkeep hasn't been great, but everything is structurally solid. Toilets flush. It's built out of good old wood. Good old wood. <laughs> good old <laughs> wood. Yeah. No bricks. There's some brickwork. Yeah. It's not like a, a shack. It's not a lodge. <laughs> But I mean, you go in there and you can see that everything just needs to be cleaned up and a few old tiles need to be fixed. Yeah, is it haunted? I'm going to say yes, okay. it's haunted. Right. A spectre is haunting the social club. <laughs> but it's not communism, it's just a guy. It's just, it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. It's someone literally who literally yeah, expecting It's yeah, someone yeah. who uh, joined the uh, snooker club and, and died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a poltergeist that's really good at snooker. Yeah. Yeah. Have I got a snooker table? Yeah. Oh, sick. Would you keep that, do you think? Yeah. Yeah. If your job is to... Because you're not measured on profit. Oh, okay. You are. Oh, so I've just been given this. So it, no, 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 no. There are success criteria, but it's not profit. But, but, but I don't have to worry about money. No, you reason. do. Of course, oh, you have oh, to worry okay. about money. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. you can't right. lose loads of money because then how you can okay. get to continue okay. on it. So, but, how is my criteria not profit? But you're, 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 you haven't got a single criteria of profit. Is what I'm saying. It's a bit like theme hospital, where yes, you have to make it's money. Hot. Yeah, but and that's people actually, come in with horrible diseases. Well, it's an old, it's an old social club in Blackburn, so yeah, that is going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, but you can't you can't bar them. Yeah. That's not fair. Yeah, um, so that will happen. And in theme hospital, you have like a few criteria. And one is like, how good of a service are you providing for people? Are they happy? Like rollercoaster tycoon. Yeah, and then one of them is uh, like working men's club tycoon. You'll get like a commissioner comes around, looks through all the doors, and he'll like decide if this is all running well. And if he gives you a thumbs up. That gives you a massive boost to your reputation. So reputation is... Who's this one. shady character? Who's the commissioner? Who's he working for? Just sort of a, a Mr. Moneybank's like top hat character who will come yeah. in unannounced <gasps> and then walk slower than all the other characters mm. and just stare through all the walls of the social club and see if everyone's having a good laugh. What's the poltergeist attitude to this commissioner? Poltergeist is invisible to the commissioner, but it can be seen by the patrons. The poltergeist's main motivator is to get people to join the snooker club. Uh, yeah initially so you get tempted you're like oh my god i could what well, i can play a poltergeist at snooker and the poltergeist always sucks initially mm -hmm. but the poltergeist is fucking amazing it's yeah so down the line everyone starts everyone initially is like oh yeah they want to play the poltergeist at snooker but everyone you know you eventually end up fucking hating him poltergeist is doing like trick shots where the balls like go levitate above the table <laughs> And you think, well, that's not fair. It's like when you're playing old fighting games and the uh, and the enemy characters can do stuff that literally you can't do as a player. Yeah. You think, well, that's like, how it. am I supposed to do this? Yeah. So that, sorry, happiness, attendance, surely, if I have to make it. Happiness, fun. attendance, reputation. You've got to be providing something arguably beneficial to the community. 
Oh God. And so I'm not so going to pin it down. It's just on. that you could <laughs> argue it. You're arguing, you're providing a service, not just to individuals who want to come, but to the community. Okay. And obviously you have to turn over money because if you hemorrhage money, that's not going well. Well, I could do, I do a comedy night because I can do that. Yeah. And I got, I know how to do that. Go yeah. on, the, go on the forum. Who are you going to book though? Well, I'll find out. I'll see. I'll, I'll, I'll scope out. You don't, I don't, know, I don't think you'll initially, I don't think I, yeah, you wouldn't initially know. Yeah. yeah. I'm not asking you to name people you would or wouldn't book, but like, yeah. what would you be going for? Because you're in Blackburn, mm. you may have feelings about what would go well or go badly in like a town on the outskirts of this area. Mm, what would I do? Yeah. Yeah. So comedy club, mm -hmm. I think to get people in early doors, classic strat, I'd have to, I'd, I'd, I'd get like a TV name. Yeah. I've seen what the promoters do. I'd do that. And yeah. then- I'd ensure that I had like quite, I'd have, ensure I'd have a diverse bill. Yeah. Diverse in terms of like gender and ethnicity, but also in terms of like type of thing, yeah. type of act to get a kind of key on yeah. what the audience is into. Put but a little also, weird act in the middle section, but. Yeah, all the classic strats. Yeah. And then we can see how people kind of respond to that and react and kind of build it up over time. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a mixture of you're able to shape tastes as people become more literate in the type of performance you're putting on yeah as well as respond to what they think you can sort of respond and shape it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right so i'll do a bit of that bit of theater theater yeah, yeah. maybe some maybe some theater. i'm presuming i've got like it's got like a stage and stuff right yeah it's got a big old stage mm. it's got those kind of sparkly uh, streamers kind of hanging down behind it it, it looks all old what's like the demographic like boomers of like the town or i guess i'd kind of like to imagine there are some younger people there mm. are still younger people that have hung around let's say there's a new development or a new estate so it's mm. brought uh some younger people with families there oh, okay. okay because because it's like cheap property ownership but then you've got the older people that live in the old houses their younger ones may have gone into the city but there is now some new blood boom crash childcare. mm-hmm do that when people are in work can do that in there what bring them to the pub like what, no, it's what? not a pub why is it a pub it's a community center i thought it was a social club kind of thing yeah okay so you're but but that's an important mm. question so you're framing this as a community center and not yeah. a social club because if i if i'm if i've just moved to blackburn with my family and i'm a young woman i'm like social club what where women are allowed and everyone's smoking like, yeah yeah how what are, you, what are you gonna what are you gonna do to make clear to these people that your and crash is an option it's not just gonna be like an old guy called Harold trying to stick your baby on the snooker table and then going back <laughs> to the bathroom. Just throwing the baby yeah. everywhere. Uh, <laughs> trying, to, trying to pot the baby. <laughs> <laughs> trying. Yeah, succeeding. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that would be tricky. But I'd nonetheless try and do it. Okay. I'd have You'd have to hire in some people who can... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some good people. I'd get some consultants in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if anything about running a fucking crash. Yeah. I'd have to get someone else who knew about it. I'd go, I'd find what the best crash is in the town mm -hmm. and then I'd offer that person more money. What, you'd just, you'd just do a hostile him. takeover? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going capitalist. Wow. Well, you've okay. made me a capitalist, so I'm going to be one. I haven't made you a capitalist. I've tried to say that the profit motive is like subsumed within a, a, a variety of incentives. That was my intention at the beginning, that you haven't got this single motivator of profits. You've got this variety of nah, 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 nah. That's not the only problem with capitalism, is it? The profit motive. It's the structure and the hierarchy of me as an individual. I'd make it a co-op day one then. And so how would you structure your co-op? So you're not, you're not for profit. Yep. Presumably. Yeah. And what you've got, um, life drawing, life drawing is good. Calligraphy. After school club. Backgammon club. Yeah. Okay. Uh, origami. <gasps> bake sale. People love baking. I haven't got a kitchen there, but I regularly have bake sales that raise funds that enable me to pay my crash runner really well <laughs> what is the main thing that you sell at a bake sale bacon? no i mean just overall are you inviting people into a space so that you can sell them drinks which is the traditional I don't understand. social i'm getting model. what's confused me is yeah. you've said there's no profit so i'm like i don't understand what i'm trying to the, it's like the, there is a financial element or there isn't i'm confused <laughs> in theme hospital you've got five criteria right and you need to like meet three or four quite well to get to the next level. Yeah. So you can make not very much money at all, but succeed on a few others. Yeah. I don't understand how this works in the real world. I'm just trying to create a model whereby something more interesting than just selling as much alcohol as you possibly can. Yeah, well, I don't want to do could that. Never occur. That's not, I've not, I've not said that anymore. But you but need you to make some be? money because you can't just spend money on things to come in and make no money and then 
you're out of money and then the place well if i have this space if i've inherited this space do i own it outright you have the deed yeah so you you inherited the deed so there's no more all i need to do is is, is keep it running and if i get a co if i get a cooperative together and then uh, i'm able to fund it through a a large group of people both the cooperative and kind of other people in the community then all i need to do is keep it ticking over but that can be more expensive than you think upkeep on a large building and the staff necessary to keep it working it's not chicken feet. That's like you need to have a certain amount turning over per month. Well, I don't know. I'm not a business. I haven't got any clue how to do this. And also, the sheer, amount of, no idea. <laughs> the sheer amount of events you're throwing at it, they're going to start being competing for space. You actually might end up being quite mercenary with chucking out the life drawing class or chucking out the backgammon club. Oh, fuck. Because the more popular ones are starting to win over. So how do you navigate that? Well, I'd let people decide. I'm not deciding. What does, well, okay, so you let them decide. You're asking an anti-capitalist how they would be CEO of a club. All right, so you, <laughs> you want the profit, but I would, some of the I questions would avoid, that I'm I would delegate gonna, absolutely everything and just see what worked well and let everyone else decide. <laughs> it sounds like I you're a step no away interest. from just going, I get the deed, Yeah, I just pass the deed on. Pretty much, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> we need community yeah. centres. We need centres of community, even if it's not just this one building. We yeah, need, yeah, yeah. We need uh, fulcrums around which communities can turn and people can interact and people spend time near other people's faces. Well, this is... this. Is, so, yeah, we need to combat alienation, right? Because what yeah. capitalism wants is it wants you sat in your own house it's either rented or on a big mortgage you're paying out yeah. alone watching TV or watching something on yeah. you know, on your scrolling through your phone it wants you alienated but also privatisation just causes such vast amounts of alienation on mm. its own like old council estates are now sort of split up so you can be on a street and be like oh okay so everyone here sort of lives the same life no this person owns this property this person's like sublet two rungs down and pays way more this whole street is now changed to <laughs> owns this and this here is part of an estate and this is all social housing and yet to the untrained eye this is just one street or one little set of avenues Mm. so all these people who like live right next to each other have nothing in common now Mm. because the relationship they have with property which is like the main form of capital and asset ownership has just been chopped into a million different categories it would not we're now in a situation well, if you proposed the concept of a library mm. and it didn't exist, if libraries didn't exist and you went, right, there's this place and you can go there for free, for free. Yeah. And there's just like all this knowledge in there or, or stories or like adventures to experience in your mind. And you can just get one and you can help. You could read it there yeah, or you could take it home. We have a couple of weeks, bring it back, get another one. Could, you could even meet people that talk about the book. Yeah. Talk about the book. In a, you know, designated time period. If libraries didn't exist, they sound absolutely fucking mental. It's somehow, but that's horrible. That's yeah. that's how dominant the horrible, alienated mm. humans are. Social animals, right? We benefit. We we are happier when we have. It's that we've got this horrible loneliness problem. Yeah. Right. Loneliness is a huge thing, not just for like older people, but for particularly for older people, but for for loads of people. People are lonely, and it's how do we get people out of their houses, right? It's as alternative comedians. Well, let's just take it from the premise of alternative comedy, right? We've both run fairly successful comedy nights. I think you're probably more successful than us because we've stopped in Manchester even trying. <laughs> but for a lot of despair in Manchester. Yeah, it's a different context. comedy. Um, well, but, because we've already brought up the main, the, the problem this all revolves around, yeah. right? Is because money. Yeah. Okay, libraries, they only work because they're funded by the local council. If we wanted to make something new, there's no way the local council would fund anything, right? Mm-hmm. So they got no fucking money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also, even if they did, I don't think they would. No, right? Not in this context. Yeah, you couldn't. Um, you couldn't propose a, a new thing. You that couldn't didn't propose exist. a library now yeah. to a to a to a council that was running a surplus, and they go, "Actually, that sounds great. Let's do libraries." It just isn't going to happen. It's no. not politically yeah, yeah, yeah. viable. We have to look beyond our own history because we're now in a slightly more dire straits than then and think what are ways that we can create social cohesion, create community. I think the arts are great because fostering engagement in the arts, it's just benefited my life so much. I don't see why anyone should have that not in their life. Mm. But it has to be done without overheads. It has to be done really cheaply. Mm. And maybe once it's going, it can make money and it can grow if you enough people are in it that you can make the argument that it should be supported, mm. but it needs to start from nothing. Mm. You know, I started doing comedy in university and then I kept going out of university and that saved me from the worst excesses of the crushing despair of hitting the job market and not having many friends. Mm. 
because I lost a lot of friends who went from uni and just left, vanished. Where are you now? And I met so many people through comedy and I have so many friends and I have so many people in my life that I treasure mm. through doing comedy. Yeah. Because comedy introduces you to like, you know, when you're first doing it, you're meeting four or five new people who you're in the exact same situation. When you're a new comedian, yeah, yeah, yeah. you go into a green room. There are people, they could be from completely different walks of life. But right now, you're in the exact same situation. You are shitting it, and you have to go and perform. Yeah. And that causes a camaraderie that still you feel with other comics. Yeah. Like shared trauma. <laughs> yeah. Shared trauma. Oh, it's just one of the best. Yeah. Maybe in my working man's club, I make a deal with the poltergeist, and I go, listen, I, love, I know you love snooker. Yeah. But what we'll do is we'll get a load of people in for an event. Who, who maybe aren't you know they don't have that much solidarity and they've just come for who said there's like there's free beans it's free they're here for free beans and then or could, you just, could you just <laughs> well they haven't really got free beans it's a trick oh right? wow we, we, when then and then and then poltergeist bolts the doors yeah and starts poltergeist you know i'm switching the lights on and off yeah, 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 yeah. poltergeist is going crazy he's going crazy and then we we create like a, it's an escape room <laughs> and they have to work together to overcome it and then they have the solidarity of we defeated the poltergeist. Mm -hmm. And I just sort of do that every week. <laughs> every single week. The same group. They know all the puzzles. They just I mean, love the ghosts. They definitely wouldn't. Like, uh, I'm saying like the, uh, the shared trauma would make them have, but it would probably be like the movie The Mist where they all just get really divided and maybe all end up shooting each other. One of them starts a religious cult. Four of them escape and then shoot themselves in a car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe not everyone has the same response to trauma than let's make friends. <laughs> Some people are like, fuck, I need to survive. <laughs> yeah, who are my enemies? But yeah, comedy's amazing for uh, that kind of camaraderie, especially like the national level of it is where, where you might go 200 miles, certainly when you start off 200 miles. But there is, I think there is an element to comedy that isn't that, right? Because comedy is like, someone's come from out of town, mm. you, you lot come in, pay, sit down, shut up. <laughs> they're going to talk to you and they're yeah. going to drive back to London. Yeah. And there is this degree to which like, that's not really building that much of a community. There's lots of all other alternative art forms that can maybe do more. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? The problem of big, big networks of like art and how culture's produced and how culture's, you know, Hollywood mm. or even in, you know, the BBC or whatever. But like working class voices are completely marginalized. And by that, I don't mean like there's not enough working class writers on the, on the BBC, it would almost be better to have all these people in all these different communities working on a new play yeah. every six months that not, you know, your mate Darren is just in than one of them going to write for the BBC. Mm. That like, like a participation in the culture we have now, diversity in the culture we have now is maybe the wrong object. Like, of course it'd be better if there was, you know, a more diverse kind of people in the arts at the top but i think diversity of arts like grass grassroots being made in these places where you can see the people doing it mm. and they're from your community not just on the screen even though there's you know there's something exciting about that because we, we fetishize that as like you know that, yeah. that but like in the hall two miles down the road yeah that's what i'm saying to the degree to which arts in the north can't win because if they do start letting artists from the north join the national level of the legitimate level yeah. all they're doing is taking artists outside of the community and making them live in london <laughs> yes, so like exactly, you exactly. can't win there yeah like the, one of the happiest times i had in comedy or at least definitely one of the most interesting times i had in comedy i was at a place called the riverside oh yeah and back then the riverside was run by an arts charity mm. And I, when I first started off, I, I left uni and I started just putting on nights and it was all a bit of a mess because, you know, I was really young. I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't know how to promote, but still people were sort of coming, mm. but I didn't know how to keep them. People would leave. And some of the shows weren't very good. I, mm. I wasn't very good. I just mm. started doing stuff. They were sufficiently like interesting and ambitious enough that this arts charity, the head of it said, you should come start putting things on at our venue. Mm. It's like a black box theater, small black box theater space above like quite a nice pub. Mm. and that's then above that is the offices of this charity mm. and we'll give you um like a monthly stipend to cover your overheads and you'll be on our books and that and you'll have a contract and then you'll be working i'm like great i've been like doing this for like one or two years and i've like landed this thing and i'm mm. really happy with it but the charity wasn't very good and they took the brakes off straight away 
and there was no communication between the charity and the bar and the bar hated the charity mm. and they like and one by one all the events people stopped putting events on here I was the only one who like stuck it out right till the end to the point where they just started using the space as like a dumping ground and we'd go in and they'd be like double booked or they'd be like a washing machine in there or a fridge defrosting in the space and I'm like this is fucked and I was so pissed off by it because I couldn't speak to them they were getting angry with me when I was like asking them for help mm. or asking them where like equipment had gone I was, they were getting pissed off with me and their turnover for events managers who were like my direct point of contact mm. they had a new events manager every six months which means no one learned the ropes before they left which told me that something really bad was going on up there mm. so like don't even don't even like pursue this so I ended up thinking, well, they're like so laissez-faire with me now. They haven't stopped this money coming through. Hmm. I'm not going to pay acts anymore. I'm just going to put on a new show, use that money to pay for stuff, and we'll just do a new interesting show, but only with like the same cast, which is anyone in Sheffield who wants to be in it. Hmm. And it was like tough as hell. And I was like, <laughs> I was living on like no money at this time. But we just kept putting on plays. We had um, Sean Morley's Lonely Party was around this time. Uh, Speed Dating with Jeremy Corbyn was around this time. (laughs) Speed Dating with Jeremy Corbyn was amazing because we put out this thing, like I've read the description of it, and it's like this mad, like (laughs) incoherent, hyperactive description that's like very clearly a comedy show. But there was like four girls who turned up really dressed up, and we were like doing front of house, and we're like, oh, just so you know, like, you do know this is like a comedy show. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we know, we know. And they're like, okay. And then they came in and then like their face was aghast when like the plot started unraveling and it was like, Jeremy Corbyn's just married a cheeky girl, but he's trying to find a new lover so that he can stop fracking or something. It was like a really <laughs> stupid plot. And we also had um, murder on the info hour express, like this immersive murder mystery. Mm. And all these shows were like bad. And we all have like these memories of like what went wrong or why they didn't work. But this group of people are just happy to be in them. And the people that just kept coming back, not because the shows were like amazing, but they were like fair play. Let's just see what's happening yeah. this time. There was a real feeling of like camaraderie and fun that you don't get going, mm. oh, I've got a gig down in Birmingham. I'll just go into that now and go home. And, you know, it's nothing like that experience. This idea of staying in one place mm. and just doing stuff. You know, apparently in Germany, and it's changing now because they're sort of adopting the British-American model of comedians just travel all over. Mm. Comedy was regional. And so you wouldn't travel. Hmm. And there's a little bit like this in Belgium. Like I'm doing a bit more comedy in Europe while I can. And so in Belgium and Germany and maybe elsewhere – your job is you're, you are a topical local commentator and everyone makes their big money doing their big end of year show where they do comedy about what's happened in that area of the country across the year and national issues as well. If you get, and it's, if you're, as you're getting bigger, you're expected to do national issues then you might go on TV. I would love one of those guys to just do that show at the fringe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so you stay where you are, you know about your, yeah. your region and people in your region go to you. And that's a lot closer to what we're talking about. Mm. Um, do you know that comedy in Belgium was actually kickstarted by a uh, Bristolian trade unionist in the 1980s? Guy went over to work, like it's the Al- Alfredischen pet yeah, style yeah. thing of like, I'm going to go work in the factories mm. near Antwerp. Yeah. And then liked comedy back home and just started it up. And um, really crazy thing happened because comedy really is like a UK export mm-hmm. in these countries, especially the ones that like really border the UK. Mm. And so they wanted comedy, but there isn't a grassroots comedy scene to draw from. Mm. So this guy started it up and people went from like what we would call open mic lowest rung mm. to doing theater runs in under five years. That's really interesting. They went from being like absolute novice to like getting lots of money because the theaters put their, their back into them mm. and went, we want there to be a national comedy scene. Wow. Yeah, it's interesting. It's really interesting. Yeah, I love that. Um putting comedy in a in a wider international context you know like the impact of like hugh carlton green for like british television comedy so hugh carlton green was an official or something in in weimar germany yeah right so he's in berlin when there's all the cool amazing culture and cabaret and all that stuff yeah and satire and he used to go and see it and enjoy it so then when he's director general of the bbc in the 
sixties, he's like, Oh, we should do stuff like that. We should do yeah. that stuff. So that's how you get Steptoe and Son. Right. And you get TW3, which was like a sort of mock the week of the 1960s. Yeah. But, but you know, at the time it was completely bizarre. You know, they, they, uh, I think they took it off during election time because they were scared. It was too like disrespectful of politicians. Mm. <laughs> um, but, and it was, you know, the Profumo scandal that completely discredited the Tory government in the, in the sixties was like, they absolutely got monstered by the, the TW3. Mm. And, uh, and it seems, it seems like so completely tame now. Yeah. But in the context of, you know, the sixties where people, you know, uh, working class people doffing their cap, taking their caps off to in deference to middle class yeah. people was still sort of a thing uh, uh, to some extent. And like that, that is like really bizarre, but his vision for what the BBC's cultural output should be in the sixties, which influenced a lot of how British comedy developed for the next few decades mm -hmm. was influenced by like Weimar Germany's cabaret scene. That's great. It's cool, isn't it? I mean, I guess they're always like the whole, like the salon, yeah. Of just this place where loads of different things happen. But I guess the salon is like way more like bougie, mm. metropolitan than the social club, but it was sort of an equivalent anyway, because stuff just happening there. Also churches. I'm not going to take a weird, let's, you know, resurrect Catholicism. Right? <laughs> but, but, but pub, pubs and churches mm. dying because, I mean, you know, pubs dying because it's half the price to get a can, right? <laughs> Simple, just mark it. It's almost as if the economic system like perpetuates ways of behavior that sustain that market system. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, call me crazy. And make it difficult to build other things. I don't know. Mm. But like, yeah, going back to Germany, not to be, you know, uh, like a parody of myself and bring up the Nazis, but <laughs> yeah, I'm going to. Jack, back on his bullshit. <laughs> back on my bullshit. The two groups most resistant to Nazism in the 1930s were Catholics and, and socialists, socialists. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. they had such, such strong communities, right? Yeah. It wasn't just, you know, going to church on a Sunday or being in a trade union. It was that all of the activities, like, you know, that's why I was saying like crash before, like childcare, sports, mm -hmm. entertainment revolved often around the, the, the mm -hmm. trade union, the socialist movement or the church. And that's why in building institutions like we're suggesting not just you know we're kind of talking about comedy clubs a bit but we're, what we're really talking about is uh, no, what community. We need, we're talking about community yeah. right and what you need are buildings that can be used for multifunction stuff but i think there is a thing not to can like, be like not just can be but ah and it's the it's the even if you had the building right that's the thing is it's really how do you get people to churches have been used in the past for loads of really cool and radical stuff like uh, the been, civil rights movement in the USA. Well, I was going to say, and even yeah. just smaller things like, um, I think it was in Boston in the 1970s, I think, um, all the, all the black mothers pulled their children out of sc the school system because, uh, the school councils were like refusing to recognize that the segregation was still happening. Like it was mm. legally not happening, but like practically due to segregated housing still mm -hmm. existing, mm. it was still happening. So they just went, forget it. And then just started at radical schools in all the churches and the churches were happy to oblige. Mm. But that was, I feel like there's such a difference between the seventies and now because People are split up in a lot and we've lost the churches in a big way. Like new atheism and skepticism happened. I have tried to hold comedy clubs in churches. Mm. I've done it in two different churches. Oh, I think I did one of those gigs. <laughs> Young people won't come to them. No, it's the right. church. Yeah, it's yeah. the church. And I also think that's why if you want to try and organize people around community and arts and stuff, it mm. has to look as apolitical as humanly possible. Mm. If the Labour Party did decide to do this or, or the momentum decide to hold it up, you'll lose people who are like, I'm not going to that. I don't want to go to a fucking rally. That mm. does not, I instantly, that's not. Yeah, yeah. Me. You just do the thing. You don't put the logo all over it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Back that's how it. you do a that's, front. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. All right. We're on the same page. Front one. I'm just saying that logo has to be hidden. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a real difficulty now with what activity everyone would want to be involved in. Well, it's diverse, isn't it? That's the thing is what, what it has to be adapted because stuff you would do in a metropolitan city with lots of young people yeah. in is different. The people you're trying to get in are like voters over 65 who we can't, you know, yeah. a lot of people are like, well, we just wait for them to die. I uh, think it's no, music. No. I think music Mu has yeah, to be music. the big one. 
Yeah, well, you know, living in Sheffield, our, our DIY music scene is exemplary. Yeah. And their politics are great. And do you know how we've got this whole, like, pay what you want thing? Mm. They've got an alternative there that I've, ju- I've only just really clocked and thought about. Mm. They just set the ticket price they think is fair, but then just add a, an addendum at the bottom and say, no one is going to be turned away through lack of funds. That's their one. Right. It's not pay what you feel. It's just here's, here's the price that we need to charge. But if you don't have it, you can still come in. Oh, and nice. that's an interesting variation. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, same in Man- Manchester's got a great music scene, um, amazing kind of poetry stuff as well. Yeah. And I also think, I think it's a mixture of music is like ingrained. Everyone likes music. Yeah. And then... Immediately suspicious of someone who doesn't like music. Some like people who don't like any pizza. You could start on music and then do bands with other stuff. Yeah. Bands with poetry, bands with comedy. And that's how you build up a thing. I'm really trying to work with DIY musicians a mm-hmm. lot more. And I don't know why, when I started off in comedy, I received this real messaging. Don't do that. Comedy for comedy nights. Music for music nights. Don't cross the streams. I don't know why we've got that. Oh, it's classic promoter wisdom. Mm-hmm. You know, like... But it comes from somewhere. I find it really odd. Yeah, well, it's just it's the promoter wisdom. It's the, it's the classics of uh, the kind of promoters who uh, have said to me in a green room, are any of you acts gay? Because I won't put two gay acts on right after each other because the audience won't be able to yeah. take it. That person was nominated by a national comedy competition. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he did it to my go, yeah, is anyone here black? Is anyone here gay? Is anyone here a woman? Can I put you all separately? And then one guy who was like a novelty act, he went, I'm a robot. What do you want me to do? <laughs> <laughs> he goes, yeah, up against the wall. <laughs> Like not even like genuinely he was like up against the wall it's like really think about yeah i appreciate you want to put them over in that side of the room but like don't say that phrase so i think music you can really get everyone on board with and then you start like putting in other art forms and you can you can you know we're backdooring people into community cohesion and through music which i think is ubiquitous we can backdoor people into the arts Hmm. but when it comes to this, I'm going to say what I think is my most controversial opinion and probably one of the biggest obstacles Hot take. Molly's hot take. I think these venues have to be dry or mostly dry. Yeah. But that's the hardest one. That's, that's why old Jackie push. Boy's working men's club wasn't, wasn't all about selling the alcohol. Yeah. You've got to get fucking Muslims into spaces and all of our spaces are fucking alcohol driven. Yeah. So how, of course, Muslims are othered they are told not to come into any of the places where people have fun Mm. they need to be dry and that's going to be one of the hardest things to push yeah it's going to be so hard to tell some people they can have fun without having a fucking can in their hand (laughs) (laughs) do you know what i mean yeah i know too many people like that and people are really like like that it's just such an ingrained part of mainstream british culture isn't it it's just hardcore binge drinking oh like do you know when you're at uni and then you go out to the like i know so many people who are like, go to uni, going out to the clubs, mm. being in the clubs, being like, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. Saying, yeah, going yeah. home next Saturday, let's go to the clubs. Do you want to pre-drink before the clubs? <laughs> if you have to pre-drink before the club, that's maybe a sign you don't enjoy yeah, the club because you can't go there sober. And I'm not, I'm, I, you know, I'm not taking any grandstanding against alcohol. No, no, people can consume yeah, whatever. Bloody we've been on the cans. Yeah, yeah. I was on the cans last night and I was yeah. supposed to be doing a really stage show. No, I think that's right. But I think we can't have all of our arts and community things profiting off of alcohol and therefore centralizing alcohol within our entire culture. Hmm. First of all, we have cultures that, that don't imbibe alcohol and so we just exclude them. Yeah. But also, we tether the working class to this overconsumption of alcohol as well and that's probably even more my conventional opinion like we've mm. we've tethered people to this thing that's obviously not that great and it's it does stuff to your mood and your body and you you know you're a full quaker i love it quakes had a few good <laughs> quakers had a few good points yeah yeah like abandoning the country when it started a war <laughs> <laughs> solid i love the hard you know because like modern quakers are just like really peace loving and real chill mm. but like the 1600s quakers were pretty known for being pretty violent, like radicals, and doing stuff like this guy James Naylor. I can't remember what city it is. It might have been Birmingham, but he just rode into it naked on a donkey. Is that violent? Oh, no, that isn't violent. Okay, good. But it's pretty bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wonder if that's where, because Lady Godiva was Coventry, right? Mm. So I guess that's <laughs> is that the yeah, origin. I wonder, if it was, but I wonder where he did it. Yeah. Look it up. It's quite funny. I think a more, so more broader idea of how this fits into politics right just this this talk of like yeah culture and like um so it's really important to build 
movements beyond and outside elections, right? Mm. Particularly now we've got this like horrible ratbag government in, right? Ratbag. Absolute bag of rats, right? Yeah. <laughs> we are not going to change the government anytime soon. So uh -huh. there's, this, there's this really important idea, which is counter power, yeah. right? Which is where the things you do aren't about just capturing power or making deals with the powerful or, you know, like seizing the state. It's about redistributing power and, and challenging power. Mm. For example, we're not going to change the government soon, right? And they're going to do horrible things. We, we need to form a basis in communities for making it impossible for them to do the things they want to do. Mm -hmm. So the classic example of that, the poll tax. So Thatcher tried to bring about this poll tax, deeply, deeply unpopular, like really regressive taxation. And people responded to it by just not paying it. Mm -hmm. right complete boycott yeah you got like riots in the streets and that definitely had an impact as well and that's part of counter power mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it definitely had an effect but also it's just like mass boycott solidarity with each other you know like bailiffs are trying to get into your house and people help each other out to yeah. keep them off and means or of communication ba bailiffs refusing to do so bailiffs yeah. thinking this bailiffs or even tax collectors thinking this tax is illegitimate mm. because so many people are resisting it it's become illegitimate we're not going to be able to actually do it yeah and that's like a government trying to do a horrible thing and basically people just went, no, hmm. and stopped it. Yeah. They didn't have the government. Yeah. Even the 92 election, like Labour lost, the Tory yeah. government stayed in until 1997, yeah. right? But they stopped the poll tax. And you can stop other stuff like that too. Yeah. The way to be doing that more regularly is to have, to have solidarity with each other and not be alienated and not be alone yeah. and not feel alone. Because if you feel alone, you feel like you can't do anything. Yeah. And you won't. And you, you get feel, hopeless you feel or you get selfish. You don't connect to anyone else. Yeah, there are two options. Yeah. Ho uh, hopelessness and despair or... Selfishness and survival. Yeah. Because selfishness can be survival if you feel up against it. Yeah, and they're bad instincts. But the more you're involved in a community, the more you experience solidarity, the more, uh, you know, and like you say, is uh, integrating and giving opportunities to uh, engage in a shared culture that mm. for people who've been excluded. You know, it's that classic thing, isn't it, of like people who have great hostility to immigration tend to be the people who don't have much interaction yeah. with immigrants or if they do you know they'll you know say to their immigrant friend they know oh i didn't mean you yeah you're one of the good ones yeah this is something we all are keenly aware of that society mm. is more divided mm. it's more divided because people are isolated and and also technology feeds into that and mainly privatization mm. and, and it's the market it's the market yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And like everyone understands this, and centrists of like because they dominate like print media, they've always wrote it up heads like you're in your you're in your uh, echo chamber. You only have the opinions that you share, and like yeah, but their solution, they're like, but they have no solution. What they am I have supposed no to solution. do? I'm supposed to yeah. go out and what? Just walk up to a group of men like playing in their dominoes club at the back end of a pub and go, all right, lads, do you mind if I sit down? My name's Sean. That's not gonna happen. But if we well, go, well, can we have that. a library? Can we have a library then? Can we have a place we can go? Yeah. No, there's no funding. Sorry. Well, what exactly am I supposed to, to do? How do you suggest this? But well, if, well, what they suggest is they think re-engaging working class communities means be racist. Yeah. That's all they, that's yeah. like their no one idea. No one's for compromise. It's idea. just your compromise is just to abandon leftism and <laughs> just do whatever yeah. they're doing. And they offer no practical guidance on this, but only leftism can tell you how to build communities. The history of the radical left mm. is about people making centers of communities, about doing teachings, about getting people to do consciousness raising and, and awareness of people in your community. Like that, and that's where the radical left come in. Actual people getting people in rooms to each other and forcing them to engage with each other. Yeah. Or trying to teach people. People don't learn anything past a certain fucking age. Like you reach a certain point and you go to work and no one tells you learning can be something that you go and do beyond that because there's no encouragement to do it. Loads of people do do it because there's like handed down cultures and knowledge and idea and a love of learning is passed down. If I existed outside of the life I've led and had mm. a different family or upbringing, I could easily turn my brain off at one point because there's no one in my community that would force me to learn anything I don't already know or want to know. Unless it was to further your career, right? Yeah, because sure. Learning, yeah, I'll go learning, for training. Yeah, yeah. learning is this privatization thing again. of like learning is valued young people get sucked out of these um, abandoned communities yeah. into cities, but they're sucked by the university industrial complex. That's like, we train you up and all the university brochures are like the employability and how many people have gone onto jobs from their things because education is commodified. Mm -hmm. They're sucked into that. And then once you are qualified, you go into the job and any learning you may do is to facilitate a job. So it's basically yeah. 
what can you learn that will help some business make more profit? Yeah. And that's the value of learning. And that's the value of you. Your CV is a list of how you can be profitable to a, a business. Yeah. So you become a commodity as well. Yeah. And, and learning is completely commodified. That's part of the problem as well. It's, it's like, it isn't just fun things we could put on. It's the, the anti-Semitism problem on the left. That can only be combated through collective institutions and face-to-face conversations mm. and political education. It's not going to be solved by like, you know, like a one hour BBC documentary yeah. or some tweets. It can only be done by genuine engagement. Yeah. Yeah. But there aren't forums for genuine engagement, so we need to create them. Yeah. Yeah. So we just, you've got hope. You've got a secret uncle who dies. You get the deed. You get the deed. You get you the You do a guys. Scooby-Doo night in the haunted social club. Lock them in. You realize that the poltergeist that's good at snooker is just the janitor that's worried you'll get rid of the table. <laughs> And then you open it up as a teaching seminar for new young radicals. <laughs> <laughs> and you keep the snooker table, obviously. Obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. The most exciting thing about the ideas of the left is that it imagines that things can be different, that the world can be different, that we can live different lives. Wealth inequality, exploitation, and the myriad ways that people can live and be forced into shitty lives gives you a moral compulsion to act. But what has always captured my imagination is the very idea of transformation. We could transform society into something wonderful, egalitarian, uh, a, a functioning national health service, or, you know, a screwball future, uh, f- flying cars, travel tubes, uh, um, big big phone phones get big i was born in 1989 so just after tim berners lee has invented the world wide web and just before the fall of the berlin wall which are the two defining events that shaped what the 90s would become i'm basically the biggest 90s kid there is cut me and i bleed pogs and or the carlton dance the fall of the berlin wall was a defining moment for the world it flipped the script a script that has neoliberalism written on it, double-sided and Korean new, size 20, just manically, with loads of spelling mistakes, and like Jack Nicholson bashed it out in a cold hotel. The wall falling was a sign of the coming collapse of the Soviet Union. I miss you every day, honey. Rest in peace. The repression of the Eastern Bloc was going to end, but capitalists in the West had something a bit bigger to celebrate. Capitalism always has to grow and expand and find new markets and find new ways of making profits. Suddenly, the largest country in the world, which was locked off from capitalism and all the territories in the Eastern Bloc that it controls, they've now opened up. The floodgates have swung wide. Western firms are rushing in. They're buying up all the businesses. They're stripping the assets. It's piranha time. So then the West, which I've put in quote marks that you can't read because I don't really like saying the West because, you know, I'm talking about places like Australia. Is that in the West? And I feel like what I'm really saying is white people countries. But I don't want to just come out of the gate and say that because that feels like I'm principally making a point about race, which I'm not. I could. I could. There's a point. There's an open goal of a point there, but it's a bit tangential. It's another app. It's another app. So then the white West profits off these new markets and the economies of these countries get a massive boost. And just trying to Google the stats about some of this stuff feels like it's been made artificially difficult to verify. So before the Soviet Union collapsed, there was this big recession that was affecting the West and it was caused in part by an oil price crisis, which is caused in part by Saddam Hussein. Oh, do you remember him? Where's he now? What is he? Then like a year after the collapse of the Soviet Union, the US and the UK, they have their longest recorded economic boom. And loads of articles relating to that time just sort of scratching their heads going, oh, I wonder why this happened. In 1992, Francis Fukuyama wrote a book called The End of History and the Last Man. The collapse of the Soviet Union, he argues, signals the end of history. Do you remember history? Check it out, it's done. The book of history is firmly closed. No more wars, no more upheavals, only liberal democracy, the globe over. That's the way it's going, sorry. 
put a fork in it and eat it. Eat history. And that's the world I grew up in. If the class war was lost in the 80s, then the 90s was the loss of the ideas war. Yeah, I can go on the internet and see a picture of an alpaca, and I am genuinely very grateful for that. I love doing that. But for my options for how I can live my life and who I can be as a member of society and how I connect to other people, that's set, just set in stone now. The paint has dried, so please don't get any of your weird smears on it. Because what you can do is limited. How you spend your time and connect with other people is limited and privatized. Things have to work through capitalism, things have to make a profit. So even when you're not at work making money for other people, you now have to spend your free time in some way that is brokered through capitalism to see your friends go to pubs, cheeky Nando's, watch a movie, go to Chessington World of Adventures. Can I not just have a laugh without parting with me precious coin? And the neoliberal consensus cemented because capitalism was drunk on devouring its rival. And just look at all the wealth, they said, in the 90s during a temporary economic boost. Not entirely sure what happens if, I don't know, once the whole world becomes a capitalist liberal democracy and capitalism still looking for new room to expand. Not really sure what happens then, but don't worry. I'm sure that won't become an issue. Wink. But the war of ideas doesn't need to be lost. We can organise ourselves however we like, if there is a will and a fervour for it, and with a Tory majority now our reality, we ought to look into that. Not just to reinvent the cultures of the working class, but to protect each other and rekindle a form of solidarity, connected to each other outside of capitalism. Solidarity is what we're going to need if we're going to resist. And I don't mean resist like direct action and protest, I just mean it's easier to not succumb to the patterns and lifestyle of consumption and alienation if you've got these strong connections to other people in your life. We need to create and think plausibly about new forums that will help forge these connections. And yeah, there's the classics, there's unions, they're great. Classic bit of counter power, join one if you've got one. And even if you don't have one connected to your workplace or industry, there are new things cropping up that will still allow you to join a union. There are renters unions like Acorn. They've mobilized collective action against shitty landlords, unfair evictions, and they've done like nationwide protests against banks like Santander, TSB, NatWest, to drop clauses in their mortgages they provide to landlords, which force the landlords to evict benefit claimants or charge the maximum possible rents. And then connected to that, there's activism more broadly, um, like protests, demos. I haven't done a huge amount of this, and when I have, it is just those large-scale actions. And the most important thing to remember with those, if you've not been, is that they can just be fun. I think it's very easy to get cynical about the efficacy of this stuff. What's what's me going on a march actually going to do? And it, you know, as nice as it is to imagine Michael Gove just staring down at a national march, just crying, going, "Why did I hate me?" It's probably not happening. At the very least, it's a nice walk with your mates, with the added spice of the potential for being kettled. And really, one of the best outcomes of protests is is just being there of you being there connected to all those people and seeing the size of your cause and the energy behind it. It's invigorating. But I'm not talking about everyone becoming an activist. I'm talking about new ways of connecting with people or even just bringing back old ways of connecting with people. And for this, the best thing might not be some national action. It might be about going out and finding something cool near you. You know, uh, I live in Sheffield and a couple of things that I think are pretty neat. There's an organization near me called Food Hall. They are pushing for a concept of a national food service based around creating communal social eating spaces. They've got this big kitchen and you can go in and you can even cook some of the food if you like, or you can go in and eat and donate money if you want. It's good. I like cooking. I also like eating. Perfect. There's an arts charity in Sheffield that runs an annual lantern carnival in an area called Sharrow. Uh, they put on free lantern making classes in a community centre and in the spring, just after sunset, there's this big parade and everyone takes their lantern out. Some huge ones, some weird ones, some bad ones. And everyone walks down in a big parade and they show them off and it all ends up in an old uh, Victorian graveyard and there's food and live music like into the night and the whole graveyard's lit by the lanterns. And Sharrow's like, it's like a 
classic northern working class neighborhood. There's old terrace houses, there's a really growing South Asian population there, but everyone comes out and people in the city travel to it. And people are coming for this lantern spectacle and community building. It comes through the back door. Ah, it's great. I love it. And lastly, let's work on taking back our power in culture and the arts. You know, I see a lot of energy put into critiquing the culture of mass media and criticizing a TV show or a movie or a new big influential book. And these have come out from massive publishers, from multinational conglomerates, and you're critiquing it for its bad representation of gender, race, and class, and how it represents certain people's experience. And it's not that that energy is misplaced, but if that there is part of your soul that yearns for art that speaks with or can engage with your experience, then you have to look at the art of your peers. These people are you. They know you. They live on the same street as you. And it's not an argument to support local artists because they need to make a living or you have to support the local economy. It's support local artists because so often what they make is fucking good and you will feel better for it. I work in the arts, uh, just about, and some of my favorite comedians, my favorite musicians, my favorite visual artists are people that I am lucky enough to call my friends. And having that kind of relationship with art is just incredible. I can't put words to it. And there are so many things going on. Find something you love and give it your support. Let's go out in the new year and find things we love and support it. What's good for the soul can be good for our politics. And you know what? I don't do enough. I don't get out and see my friends as often as I'd like. There's loads of nice things I'd like to go and see. I keep meaning to go to food hall and have a cook and I don't get around to it. I get stressed and I get stressed about work and I work through the weekends and I'm always convinced I don't have enough money or time to go and make too many plans. And I don't actually think any of that stuff is true. And I think I just need to commit to doing more. And this is not a call to arms for everyone to become an activist and glue their head to a JCB. We're just, you know, I'm just saying, let's go do some normal human stuff. Let's go be close to the people that we love and spend time with them and meet new people and be friendly. Culture's just made when people come together. And counter power is made when people stop being strangers. <laughs> Mandatory Redistribution Party was created and produced by Sean Morley and Jack Evans. Our title theme was created by Ella Jean with additional music by Sean Morley. If it's a holiday when you're listening to this, please enjoy your holiday. And remember, the only gift worthy of your family is the means of production. So get seasoned.